Well, after half an hour of technical difficulties, uh, brought to you by Scott losing things, um, <laughs> we are we are cranking off. I'm Mitchell. I am Scott, and you know what? Uh, I'm gonna blame the fact that uh, either one of a CIA CIA agent or an FBI agent came in my house and moved stuff around. So you got Benowitzed. Yeah, uh, it's probably an Air Force agent. You are so close to Travis. Slowly trying to drive me insane. So um, no, yeah, they pick they pick the wrong brother. It'd be much easier if they just went for me. Uh, yeah. So welcome to cranking off, everybody. Uh, I'm Mitchell. Like I said already, joined by Scott. Um, this week we are going to be talking about uh, Ed Kemper, Herb Mullen, and the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Um, so. This originally was not the episode I had in mind. It was going to be about Ed Kemper, but it was more going to be talking about, you know, the fact that his dad was involved with the nuclear testing site in the Marshall Islands and was worked on there. And uh, just kind of talk about basic MK Ultra stuff um, that was going on in California and the insane asylums and uh, prisons, i.e. Whitey Bulger and like Ted Kaczynski and that kind of stuff. Um, and then you sent me something last saturday so um, not this not yeah, the august, saturday but the saturday before. august 21st so august 24th 21st eight nine no 10 days ago 10 days 10 ago. days ago yep um and then that kind of derailed the whole process because i had all my notes ready and i was ready to record <laughs> that night um and then you sent me that and then things became difficult so let me read what you sent me yep Go ahead. So this is on edkemperstories.com on a post about if his father ever forgave him or some bullshit like that. Um, Commented by George. George says, It's a shame that the true story never came out back in the 70s about guys, parentheses Kemper, relationship with the cult groups that flourished around Santa Cruz at that time. Groups that were Luciferian and perpetrated many gruesome crimes. Herbie was involved, parentheses Mullins, being introduced via the process slash Manson's connection to Big Ed and Manson too, whose satanic ties included the coven in Minot, North Dakota, partially outlined in a book by investigative journalist Maury Terry, all had their roots in the Santa Cruz area. At one time in the early 70s, the Santa Cruz witches were on par or stronger than the Vatican in terms of magic, and with the refugees who fled to Minot conjured demonic entities still seen today. Try a search for werewolves of Minot or something along those lines. There is slash was a huge story here, which or a huge story here, which gave rise to the satanic craze of the '80s, which is often overlooked back as an example of overeager social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, teachers, clergy, all making up a giant hoax all over America and beyond. Unfortunately, all these stories were true, and when the same crim or the same crimes took place in the '90s and beyond, no one paid attention except for the denizens of the kingdom. There, that's. When I first read that, I was like, okay, this is an insane person. Um, especially the second part of that with the the magic being on par with the Vatican. <laughs> so, I mean, it still probably is an insane person, but um, they're definitely tapped into something there. Um, far, far more than I or you realize. We're prepared, yes. Um, so... <laughs> There are yeah. a few things in that in that little blurb there that are mind blowing in their uh, possibilities or connections or uh, potential connections that really really just just drew us into a rabbit hole of unimaginable proportions. Yeah, it, it was um, it was it was not a good a good night for us that night. <laughs> we i was on some websites that looked like um geo cities threw up in 1998 i was about to say it was like the heaven's gate website yeah yeah no there it was it was a it was a wild ride for sure and you know it's almost like you have to you have to start at the beginning of that statement and then kind of work through it to like get all the connections. Cause there's a lot going on there. Yeah. There is. Um, but once it all kind of, once you kind of understand everything that this person is saying, it's, it's actually uh, very intriguing. It's all true. Um, it is essentially all true. Is the yeah. Thing. Um, yeah. 
so I really I think what I think I said at the beginning, but this week is kind of going to be focusing on Kemper Mullins and kind of their connection to uh, the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Um, so I, I don't want to get too much in the Kemper because he's been reported at ad nauseum um, for fifty years now. Uh, he killed ten people, two of them being his grandparents, one being his mother. Uh, he had some uh, cannibalistic tendencies mm-hmm. as well as uh, necrophiliac tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like Chris Chan. Yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, so he was arrested after the murder of his grandparents when he was 15 and imprisoned in a California psychiatric hospital. I want you to remember that. Mm-hmm. I want you to remember California psychiatric hospital, Okay. Yeah, so um, there's a couple cities that are very important to the the story ongoing. Yes, is it? A, well, is it's it not a the city that it's it's the it's the uh, California Psychiatric Hospital, which matters because there was some weird shit going on with those in the '60s and '70s is about churning out people specifically. I don't know which one, um, okay. but yeah. Uh, so Kemper, big guy, six foot nine. I talked about this. Hung out in the jury room in Santa Cruz. Lived in Alameda, actually, for a bit. Uh, about two blocks away from where we grew up. <laughs> that was actually... Um, Frightening. A, a bit of a, a bit of a, a disturbing thing. I had no idea that he hang, hung out there. And there are a couple of spots, uh, you know, specifically on, on Webster Street in Alameda that Which he, he hung out at. I want people to know about Alameda. There is a... Is it just a naval base or was it Naval Air Force base? Um, I think it was a naval base. So it's a naval base over on that side of the island. But like our they, parents... they had planes and stuff. I mean, yeah. like the USS Hornet is is there. Our our mother was not allowed to go to that side of the island as a child because of all the soldiers who were over there. Let's put it that way. Um, so he, it's Sailors, weird that he hung soldiers. out on Webster. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, you know, he hung out in the jury room with cops. I mean, this has all been talked about. You could go listen to any two white women, uh, talking about true crime and you could get that info. I, I'm not interested about talking that, about that here because it's yeah, go watch, needlessly um, sensationalized. He's in that one too. Yeah. That's actually kind of a good depiction of him. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so I want to specifically talk about his potential ties to numerous other killers in Santa Cruz. So Scott, you've seen Lost Boys, right? I've seen parts of it. I've actually never watched the, if the full thing. But you've seen in the beginning where they go into Santa Carla or whatever they call it, but it's Santa Cruz. And on the back of the sign, it says Murder Capital USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's apparently based on a real thing that was going on in Santa Cruz. So I believe in the early 70s, there was four... There was three operating one who was caught killer serial killers in the Santa Cruz area. Mm-hmm. Um, Kemper Mullen and uh, Lyle Frazier, who I'll talk about later. But um, it's, oh God, and Manson had supposedly come through Santa Cruz at some point before his Southern California Odyssey. I couldn't find exact dates for that, but... So I think I I read that the FBI says that at any given time, there are 50 to 60 serial killers that are active in the United States at any given time. So they would know. Yeah, exactly. This puts 10% (laughs) of the serial killers in the country in the same place at the same time. Yeah, and it gets even weirder. Um. So I'm going to read a section from a book called Program to Kill by Dave McGowan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the excerpt. And I got this via uh, Recluse's uh, blog, Visup. Uh, he has a pretty good series about some of this stuff. So I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, quote, women, go- women began going missing from around the Santa Cruz area as early as autumn of 1968. Reports re- began surfacing of grisly occult sacrifices being performed in surrounding mountains. By the summer of 1972, it was clear that Santa Cruz had a problem. Mutilated bodies began showing up in the hills. By the time 1973 rolled around, the bodies were piling up at an alarming rate. In just the first six weeks of the year, uh, eight bodies were found and women were continuing to disappear. What had once been an idyllic community had been radically transformed. 
The murder rate had quintupled, and Santa Cruz had achieved, Santa Cruz had achieved the rather dubious distinction of having the highest homicide rate in the country. Many of the area's killings were credited to two alleged serial killers, Edmund Kemper and Herb Mullen, who were said to be operating at the same time in the same city, though acting independently of each other. I think Herb Mullen killed 13 people, by the way, but I think he talks about that later. Um, yeah, Kemper's bloody odyssey included eight victims brutally butchered between May 72 and April 73, most of them co-eds whose corpses were cannibalized and sexually violated. Mullen was credited with dispatching 13 victims in just four months, from October 13, 1972, through February 13, 1973. Huh, okay, to briefly recap, no fewer than six serial killers slash mass murderers, Charles Manson, Stanley Baker, that's going to be a really big one later, um, Edmund Kemper, Herbert Mullen, John Lindley Frazier, and the Zodiac were all spawned from the Santa Cruz slash San, er, San Francisco metropolitan area in the span of just over four years. At a time when serial killers were a rare enough phenomenon that they hadn't yet acquired a name, remarkably enough, the crimes collectively attributed to these men did not even account for all of the ritualized homicides that occurred in the Bay Area during this time period. For example, the murder of Fred Bennett, the captain of the Oakland chapter of the Black Panthers, whose mutilated remains were found scattered in the Santa Cruz Hills, was never solved, and many of, and many of the young students who were reported missing from local campuses were never found either dead or alive, and were therefore never listed as homicide victims. So there was supposed cult occult activity going on in Santa Cruz. I think Ed Kemper got out in 68, but Herb Mullen was still hanging around there. And then Baker and Frazier were hanging around there as well, too. So I think we need to to talk about the how like for maybe people that aren't from from this area, which probably there aren't many, but just to describe, you know, when you're in San Jose which is in the South Bay area. Um, in order to get to Santa Cruz, you have to take a highway through the Santa Cruz mountains. And yeah. um, what he's talking about in that passage is it doesn't sound like this, the actual Santa Cruz city proper. It sounds like the hills of Santa Cruz mountains, hills. I mean, they're not, they're not really high mountains. They're just kind of like a, like a coastal yeah, range like range so um when he when he's talking about that he's talking about the santa cruz mountains um santa cruz the city is nestled on the uh monterey bay uh like the mm-hmm. northern part of it the northern yeah yeah so what specifically he's talking about the santa cruz mountains slash hills and that is a that is a bit of a different situation than santa cruz proper um it's very, it's much more like rural and no, if you're doing satanic rituals, uh, no one's just going to kind of wander up. It's, it's very like out in the sticks. Yeah. Felton, that area, probably, uh, San Lorenzo, like those, those areas I could definitely see some weird shit getting up to because there's some weird shit in Felton too. So, well, like, um, uh, just in the last year, uh, one of those Boogaloo guys that went and shot up the Oakland or what, I don't even remember what it was anymore, but some Boogaloo guy got uh, tracked up into those mountains and yeah. they went up there and killed him or, or whatever. I think, I don't yep. remember the dude's name. I just remember he went to a police station and shot a few cops or something. And then they found out he was up there and they had a standoff and he was killed. But it's those kind of people living up there. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's like hippie, like libertarian types. I would say, like, like kind of burnt out flower children. So I, yeah, I would say that the hippies are are down in the actual city, kind of just bumming it, and then the the liberal, the libertarian slash like uh, prepper people are up in in the mountains. I would say in Santa Cruz, the line between hippie and libertarian is very. <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying general is very, very not clear. Well, you've got um, you've got the people that want to turn the homeless people into Soylent Green, and then you've got the actual homeless people. So that yeah. I guess that's the line. Yeah. Um, so to go on, three of the names I mentioned in that, uh, not including the Zodiac, obviously, because that will be its own thing at a later time. William Mensner. Uh, yeah, that that name will come up. Well, wait, wait. Yeah, Baker's also connected whole, to it. Yes. Okay, that's a whole different thing. We'll yeah, do. that'll be we'll that'll be it. next time or something. Uh, so Manson, Baker, and Lynn Frazier, 
uh, all have a cult or religious fanaticism in their background. Baker was, and I quote, branded a hippie Satanist by the popular press because he had both a recipe and a copy of the Satanic Bible in his possession when he was arrested. While Baker would later tell both law enforcement officials and his fellow inmates that he had participated in a blood-drinking cult in Wyoming, he later confessed that his crimes were actually the result of his drug use and had nothing to do with any involvement of Satanism. So take that for what you will. Okay, yeah. So let, let's hold on. Let's go back to our original original quote here. Um, so Kemper's relationship with occult groups that flourished around Santa Cruz at that time, groups that were Luciferian and perpetrated many gruesome crimes. Herbie was involved. Mullins, which is who you're talking about, being introduced. No, I'm talking about Baker. This is Baker. Oh, sorry, you're talking about Baker. Never mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah, go on. But uh, yeah, so this is, we will get to the connection with Mullen and these people and then Kemper through Mullen. I'm just, yeah, um, the, the, sorry, the satanic church thing. Uh, oh, just tick that box. wait, wait until I read this next, this next bit here. Baker was also supposedly involved with the four pie organization or four P. Um, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I found a very good blog post oh, uh, by the user Marion number one on the website Zodiac Killer Hoax. And I'm going to read the whole thing as follows. So this might take a few minutes. Um, this is a particularly strange serial killer case, case that was mentioned in The Ultimate Evil by Maury Terry. Um, but so Stanley Dean Baker and his companion Henry Allen Stroop. I think that's how you say that. Um, two friends from Wyoming were arrested on July 13th, 1970 in California after getting into a car accident. Upon his arrest, Baker pulled out a gnawed human finger bone and told the officers, I have a problem. I am a cannibal. Baker... <laughs> Baker said he had gotten it from a victim he murdered in Montana, who he confessed to shooting and eating the heart of. His description of the crime and its location matched a man named uh, James Schlosser, who had been found murdered in Park County, Montana, his body brutally dismembered. Baker pleaded guilty and insisted Strop had nothing to do with the murder. However, Henry or Harry Strop was charged with complicity in the murder and was convicted. Strop was let out after nine years, while Baker was let out after 15, despite having weapon, weapons confiscated from him 11 times and organizing a satanic coven in prison. Additionally, it appears that Baker has also confessed to the 19 or to the April 19th, 1970 murder of prominent San Francisco uh, lamp designer Robert Salam. He was asked about it at trial. And even left a fingerprint at the scene, but was never charged for whatever reasons. Early news reports discuss how Baker openly talked about involvement in witchcraft and the occult. At Stroop's trial, he was slated to testify to his involvement in the Church of Satan. He also testified that he'd been studying the Bible of the Satanic faith, giving him supernatural powers, included having brought good weather to Toronto to a Toronto rock festival. Uh, in parentheses, the Festival Express question mark. Not not a, cause, not a abuse of his powers, clearly. Yeah, well, and causing the death of Jimi Hendrix. Oh, okay. Uh, Baker indeed fit the program to kill profile in numerous ways. He experienced a devastating childhood accident that changed his behavior, very into LSD, claimed an ability to perform self-hypnosis, and described having blackouts, including during Slosher's murder, which weren't always caused by LSD. For an unknown reason, he, was, he had briefly transferred out of Wyoming into Evergreen, Colorado, while in high school back in 1964. So remember... Um, when we were during the X-File episode, I mentioned that Schaefer guy who killed that little girl and mm -hmm. didn't remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Jolly West, MK Ultra was involved with that or possibly involved with that. Okay. So Maury Terry, Ultimate Evil, uh, citing Ed Sanders, he wrote The Family, which was a book about Charles Manson in the 70s. Uh, went further, asserting that Baker confessed to being in a California-based satanic cult. Reports of human sacrifice were relayed to the police, including one from a gentleman named Stanley Baker, who he who was arrested for an out-of-state murder. Baker, who was said to be a member of the Santa Cruz cult, carried a finger bone from his recent unfortunate victim in a leather pouch. Upon his arrest, he delivered one of criminal history's epic comments to authorities, I have a problem, I am a cannibal. Baker, who sported a swastika tattoo and other occult emblems, said he was recruited from a campus setting in Wyoming. He participated in blood drinking rituals and was further programmed and then joined the California activities. Concerning this particular victim, Baker told the police he murdered the man, cut out his heart and ate it. Baker and at least one other witness told authorities of Santa Cruz or told the authorities, the Santa Cruz group later headed down, ba headed back down state 
where they resumed their obnoxious rituals, including murder in the O'Neill Park of the Santa Ana Mountains of South Los Angeles. This cult, a process splinter group, was said by the witnesses to call itself the 4P movement, or 4Pi. Its leader, alleged to be a prosperous L.A. businessman or doctor, was known as the Grand Shingon. Interestingly, Ed Sanders stated that on several occasions, in his presence... Manson family members referred to Charlie as the Grand Shigon. However, Manson was under arrest at the time and the cult was still functioning, so he was not this particular Grand Shigon. <clears throat> this was the four or this was the four pi or four P cult uh, that Ed Sanders had first discussed in the nineteen seventy one edition of his book The Family. It is known as the process er, it is known that the process had among its chapters three closed chapters the locations of which are kept secret. In California, there were process activities in Marin County, Santa Barbara, the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the Santa Ana Mountains. It is regarding activities in the Santa Cruz Mountains south of San Francisco beginning in late fall of 1968 that ghastly reports of occult sacrifices have been received. The same people indicate that the process stopped using the name the process and began to use other names. Police beam reporting finding... uh, exsanguated animals, which means they got all their blood let out, uh, and decapitated animals in the remote Santa Cruz wilderness. One human recounted witnessing ritual executions in a grove on Route 17 south of Santa Cruz. Um, The ceremonies involved use of a portable crematorium to dispose of the bodies, a wooden altar adorned with dragons, and a wooden morgue table. There were as many as 40 people in attendance at these sacrifices. The instruments of sacrifice was a set of six knives welded into a football-shaped holder. The heart was eaten. Uh, the group was called the Four Pie Movement and was later dedicated to the worship of evil. Later, the group moved the, sa- the ceremonies to the Santa Ana Mountains, south of Los Angeles, where they continued their barbaric abhorrences. The leader of this human sacrifice group, a large man, held the t- cl- or cult title Grand Shingon. Large it was not man. Large man. Large man. Yep. Uh, however, at least five times in this writer's presence, Manson has been called the Grand Shigon or Head Shingon by members of the family. It is especially interesting that Manson supporters called him the Grand Shingon, as it suggests that Manson's group had at least some interaction with the murderous satanic cult spinoff of the process. The Four Pie Cult is believed to be the same nationwide entity connected to the Manson, Arliss, Paris, Arliss Perry, and Son of Sam murders, at least the Los Angeles branch of it. Hence my posting in this forum about the cult that David Berkowitz called the children. And speaking of Grand Shagon, the cult leader who was a large man and prominent Los Angeles businessman or doctor, in parentheses, note that the leader of the California branch is described as holding or holding a similar social status uh, to the New York leader, Alfred Hunt Howell. One blogger speculated that this identity was fam- famous LSD de- dealer Ronald Stark. Stark was a flamboyant CIA operative who assumed control of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love in 1969, allowing him to denominate the LSD or to dominate the LSD market. In doing so, he relocated from Northern to Southern California, coincidentally right around the same time that the, the Four Pi did so. So Stark even fits the description of LSD Kingpin, whose subordinate owned a black car that Manson was reportedly seen driving a couple days after the Tate LaBianca murders, and that's uh, sourced from Ultimate Evil. However, the source confirmed the relevance of the black car Manson was seen driving two days after the murders, according to the information was uncovered. Uh, The black car was apparently a Mercedes-Benz that was owned by a wealthy individual who lived part-time in Berkeley during the Manson era. Sources say that a car owner, who I will call Chris Jets, was a narcotics middleman who distributed hallucinogenic drugs from his secret LSD and MDA laboratories to drop off points for pickup by elements of the Hells Angels biker gang, who controlled most of the street-level distribution of chemical narcotics in the LA area at the time. The source's name and Jets' real name have been turned over to the authorities, and the biker connection from the process and Manson to the New York prison statements had now appeared several times during the overall investigation. Sources also said that Jets had ties in the form of funding to the, and Scott, this is going to make your ears ring, Self-Awareness Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, The Los Angeles drug scene in 1969 should be likened to a field of pyramids, which roughly divided the marketplace into various specialized segments. Near the top of the pyramid, the chemical dope edifice was a man connected to Jets, a superior, so to speak. This man was said to have been a former Israeli... Uh, who had strong links to the international <laughs> intelligence community. He wasn't employed by U.S. or Israeli intelligence. 
at least not at the time of the murders. Rather, Robert he was regarded Maxwell. as a rogue. What? <laughs> it's probably Robert Maxwell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, rather, he was regarded as a rogue in addition to his elevated narcotics ranking. Uh, was suspected by some as being an operative for the Soviet Union, perhaps freelance. Uh, going back to Stanley Baker for a second, there is something interesting about his involvement in the Bobby Salem murder. On the wall of the murder scene, the word Zodiac was written in Salem's blood. It appears that there was some effort to create a link, even a weak one, between Baker and the series of purported Zodiac murders, which Professor Haran has, of course, demonstrated were not really connected. I don't think Baker is actually a perpetrator in any of these cases, but there are a couple of coincidences. Something weird about the Barry Essen murder, the perpetrator reportedly said he was an escaped convict from the Deer Lodge prison in Montana, which might appear to, to point towards Baker given Baker's presence nearby and commission of at least one murder in that state. And on April 20th, 1970, one day after Salem's murder, Zodiac sent a letter which ended with, ended with P.S. I hope you have fun trying to figure out who I killed. I am not currently sure whether Salem's murder had made the papers before or after the letter was sent. So that is kind of the uh, Baker situation, which when I came across that, I just looked up four pie because I was like, okay, what the hell is this? And then I came across that oh, and I was boy. like, what the fuck? That's a whole... Okay, so can you explain... Can you Sorry, can you explain everything you said? No, um, can you explain <laughs> what the process is, please? Yeah, I have my. I was gonna get to them later because I wanted to talk. Well, about Well, I feel it, like we've talked about it twice already, and, and yeah, we just need so to the, define our terms. the The process church of the final judgment is a offshoot of Scientology, uh, specifically a Satanist sect of it. Um, they are kind of a doomsday cult, I would say. Right? Does that sound right to you? Uh, they kind of frequented it like hip trendy places like i think they're on the hate ashbury i think they were in london i think they were all over the place but they're kind um, of like um like a, like a nouveau like very cool satanist it's not like uh yeah well, for like the satanist. 60s yeah yeah it's not like the the uh notice me senpai guy on tiktok no these are like um these are like you know if if we're talking about like uh miles terry said in in Maury Terry. Yeah, no, sorry, Maury Terry said in his thing, um, you know, we, you have the the good Wiccan witches, and then you have the the bad guys. Uh, these guys are like the dark, the dark witches, or that's what they would probably say they are. Um, so yeah. they're not they're Satanist in in you know so but so many terms, but yeah. Something I want to keep in mind: offshoot of Scientology. Yes, that is important. Uh, and supposedly one of the people, one of the celebrities involved the process church was Roman Plansky and some very special, uh, you know, famous criminals as well, but we'll, yes. we'll get to that as yes, things yes, go. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, okay. So the other guy I want to talk about, so he doesn't fit into the kind of occult background, but he's more into religious fanaticism. And there's especially a very interesting note that he left on a typewriter. So I'll kind of read this. So John Lindley Frazier wrote on the typewriter of a victim, Halloween 1970, today World War III will begin, as brought to you by people of the free universe. From this day forward, anyone slash anyone or anyone or company of persons who misuses the natural environment and destroys same or destroys same will suffer the penalty of death by the people of the free universe. I and my comrades from this day will forth from this day forth will fight until death or freedom against anyone who does not support natural life on this planet. Materialism must die or mankind will stop. Knight of Wands, Knight of Cups, Knight of Pentacles, Knight of Swords. Okay, so those are all tarot card Those are all tarot cards. Yeah. You know a little more about tarot about me, but I know anything to do with swords is usually not good. Um and it's weird that he chose all knights. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um I mean, what when you read that? What it, what is what was your? Because that's the first time I've heard that. What was your opinion of that statement? I thought he was just like a crank until I got to the tarot stuff, which shows a clear interest in the occult in yeah. Santa Cruz in 1970. There's a little bit of helter skelter type stuff. Yes, going that's on there. the other thing, which we will get, which can connect him to the process church via Manson. Yeah. So, um, yeah, <laughs> granted Manson. Yeah. So it, there's, 
there's no definitive strings between anyone, but there's enough of a breadcrumb trail that you can follow it and arrive at these conclusions. But okay, so like I said, you know, earlier, it's important that we establish this now because everything else we're going to say later on kind of depends on this point. Um, we've got four or five notable, maybe even more than that. We might be up to like 10 if you, if you count everyone, a, a, a number of, of like very famous and, uh, Infamous important killers. serial killers, right? Yeah. All in the same place. I mean, you know, the, the With, West all Coast, within 70 miles of each the other. The West Coast in the 60s and 70s was obviously like a whole like free love and yada, yada, yada. But I mean, they're all within like a 20 to 30 mile radius of each other at the same time in the same place. Um, yep. The idea that these guys were not aware of each other to some degree, I just, I don't know how that's possible, especially when they're. And- all dealing with the same occult shit and it's like okay well clearly they must have come across each other at some point and some of these guys have undeniable links i mean you know the well, process I... church stuff is that's kind of i mean the guys that were involved in that were involved in that it's like where but where does ed kemper fit into this you will see you will see right you will see so let me let me get to the next part so as you mentioned and it's in my notes. And of course, Manson has his helter skelter theory, which is very similar to what Fraser was talking about. Here. Yeah, World War Three, that kind yes. of shit. Yeah, genocide of the peoples. I'm right. Blah 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 blah. So Manson has his ties to the satanic sect of Scientology in the Process Church of the Final Judgment, um, which I said one of the bring about the end of the world. So, <clears throat> and I'm gonna quote here again. So, in 1967, the process set up camp in San Francisco, a few doors down from where Manson was living at the time on Cole Street. By the time of spring of 68, they were in Los Angeles and making a frontal assault on the entertainment industry, dressed in black, German shepherds on, at the leash, and speaking about the worshipping of Jehovah, Lucifer, and Satan. So, they were very dialectical in their uh, worship. <laughs> That's quite a triumvirate. <laughs> yep. They were pretty common. They were at a pretty common site in California. In '66, Anton Lavey had already opened his Church of Satan to much immediate hoopla in San Francisco. So Californians were getting used to Satan worshiping and oddly dressed, blackly dressed young people working in, working on their satanic stairs, while everyone else is working on their tans. And then in the summer of '68, the California operation and the process suddenly went underground. So obviously, more on Manson later. I don't want to get into that particular nest of so rats right now i need to talk about uh, satanism real quick um okay go for it i mean i i could be wrong here this is i, I haven't done any research on this this is just kind of what i understand but levey's <laughs> satanism and what existed before that are are different things um there's like theistic satanism and then there's like atheistic satanism um, yeah i think that i think levey was more trying to be edgy yeah that's more like atheistic satanism well okay so there's two satanic churches today there's like the church of satanism and Satan. then there's like I, I don't know what the other one's called but one's just like kind of like the aclu but like the, for edgy people annoying yeah well i guess the aclu is annoying too but <laughs> so um, I just want to point that out that like when we when we're talking about Satanism and especially as we go into like the Satanic Panic as a as a concept that like LeVay Satanism and what this is is like kind of different. Um, this is like the blood rituals and like that kind of stuff is is more I would say like occult satanism like theistic satanism and it's this yeah. this like modern satanism is like atheistic like i don't believe like we don't the, believe this we're not we're the, not actually the, worshiping satan yeah it's just to piss off yeah. uh, conservatives yes
So obviously this leaves uh, Kemper and Mullen as two of the more odd ducks in the uh, occult slash fanatical backgrounds of the other killers. Um, however, there's a very strange tie between those two. So in their youth, and again, I'm going to be quoting here, uh, both Herb and Ed received training in firearms from the National Rifle Association while at summer camp. Both would later be accused and convicted of killing with cold precision of a professional assassin. Both were labeled serial killers, though both were convicted of crimes that evidence suggests they did not commit, at least not alone. Uh, both of their alleged killing sprees began in 1972 in Santa Cruz, California, and both were arrested in early 1973. Following those arrests, the two were assigned adjoining jail cells, appointed the same defense attorney, at least until Chang bowed out of the Mullen case due to a medical emergency. Kemper and Mullen were both found guilty and determined to be sane, and both were sent to your place, the California Vacaville Medical Facility, which has been well documented as a hotbed of covert intelligence operations not long before their killing sprees began. Uh, both men spent, and I think they're saying that that specific place was a, a hotbed of that stuff, not that they continued to kill people once they're in there. Um, not long before their killing sprees began, both men spent a considerable amount of time in mental institutions. So remember what I said earlier about Kemper having been committed when he was 15. Right. Uh, both voluntary and involuntary. In the two years leading up to the convictions of Kemper and Mullen, at least 74 men, women, and children were killed in the state of California by released mental patients. <clears throat> wow. So, yeah. Well, wait. So, there were confirmed MK Ultra experiments going on in California prisons during this time period. Whitey, do you know who Whitey Bulger is? Yes. The Boston mobster. Right, right, um, yeah. So he was in prison in Alcatraz. And to reduce his sentence, he signed up for MK Ultra experiments where I think they dosed him with LSD 59 times. So before Whitey Bulger did that, he never killed anybody. After that was when he started killing people. So... <sighs> Make of that what you will. And obviously, if they're doing that at The Rock, why wouldn't you do it to more easily broken down people, like, say, someone who's committed into a mental asylum when they're 15 years old? Well, even, even in uh, his Wikipedia article, it says Herbert Mullen had schizophrenia, which was accelerated by the use of LSD. And that's the FBI saying that. So, yes. um,. <laughs> If, if you something add, weird going on there. If you add LSD into the mix with uh, with paranoid schizophrenia, I don't know what the reaction to that is going to be, but it's it's going to be it's going to be one. So, do you want to hear a fun story about Kemper and Mullen when they were in prison together? Sure. Uh, Kemper recalled, "Well, Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV, so I threw water on him to shut him up." Then, when he was a good boy, I'd give him some peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he'd ask permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. So, yeah, Kemper's, like, well-known for being, like, very, very intelligent, like, genius-level IQ. Yes. Um, Kemper is probably a foot taller than Herbert Mullen. <laughs> yes, Kemper, like I said, I think he was... 6'9", like 280 when he went to prison. Yeah, and Herbert Mullen's less than 6 feet tall. So that's a very funny, like, uh, that's a very funny grouping. Um, well, and, you know, I know Kemper spent time in a psychiatric facility, but it's a little strange that he's picking these tricks up by himself. I mean, yeah, I think that, I mean, you, you, you can, can have love dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can, you can make that connection without that having happened yeah. to you, but it is odd that he specifically said that. Yeah. And with somebody he's known since childhood or been associated with since yeah, childhood. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So we've got these, these two serial killers that are obviously linked to each other. I mean that those two are definitely, um, they know each other. They knew each other. Um, and I guess that's the connection we're going to make to this well, other stuff that's happening. No, I have the connection I'm going to make right okay, here. Okay, go for it. Okay, so to get back to the occult ties with the others, 
Um, obviously, one thing that binds them together was either they were committed to various asylums across California, had access to the LSD, and, of course, the Process Church. Um, or no, sorry. Had access to LSD, and, of course, the Process Church frequently used it like many cults in the 60s and 70s did. And here's an interesting section from Sympathy for the Devil, the True Story of the Process Church. Um, this is just one of the guys who accounted or provided uh, testimony for it. I lived in a Los Gatos home owned by an ordained priest of the Church of Tomorrow. He had the best LSD, and his stream of consciousness talk seemed to be filled with all kinds of mind-blowing heaviness. He had a gravitational pull that seemed superhuman. Young, beautiful women flocked to him, and I flocked to them. Was this a cult, or was it just a groovy hangout? So Herbie Mullen... Los Gatos is in the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains, by the way. Yes, but there's... 17 obviously goes through it, but there's another highway that goes directly from around Soquel to Los Gatos that you could take. It's much more, it's like a two-lane highway. I think a lot of it's washed out now after the rains from a couple years ago. But it's Highway 9. Um, Herbie Mullen frequently was found on that highway. One of his victims was on that highway. Is a hitchhiker, right? Yes. Yeah. One of his victims is in that highway. Um... So he was clearly bouncing between Los Gatos and Santa Cruz. So there's a connection between Los Gatos and him, who, which we know there's a confirmed member or priest of the process church there. And we know that there's the four pie group in Santa Cruz. So was Mullen a go between these two groups? I don't know, but it's, it's a weird fucking thing. So basically what we're saying is these these dudes were all hanging out together, like in some form or fashion. Yes. So like I said, their Mullen would go between Los Gatos and Santa Cruz. Baker was confirmed to be involved with the four pie. He said so himself. Um, the uh, Frazier was espousing Manson like Helter Skelter, which a lot of people say that Manson stole Helter Skelter from the Process Church. And obviously Kemper seemed to have some sort of familiarity or control over Mullins, especially considering they started killing and stopped killing at essentially the exact same time. Okay, so I guess this is kind of, unless there's more you have for right now, I guess this is kind of a good time I've, I've, to like wrap this section I've got, up. You've got, I've more? got more? Okay. I've got more. Go, <laughs> Go off, gang. Okay. Um... So as I mentioned, the Process Church was an offshoot of Scientology. Um, everyone knows who L. Ron Hubbard is. Um, right. I don't know how many people know about his background in the Navy, though. Well, that's, so he, yeah, Sea Org and everything is modeled off of a, it's well, very, yeah, very. In parentheses, hence his proclivities for young boys on boats. <laughs> it's very, like, Navy-like in its structure, yeah. Yeah, so... There's obviously some sort of military doctrine support or knowledge of uh, Scientology through L. Ron Hubbard because, you know, I, a lot of these people are buddies for life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then of course, blood in, blood out, right? Various, yeah. Obviously, we know about the various celebrities uh, in the church. Of course, we got to mention Tom Cruise and his ties to the Air Force through Top Gun. <laughs> That's a spurious one, but go on. <laughs> um, so we know that Scientologists are very, very good in breaking the human psyche down um, and then rebuilding it kind of how they want to. Well, you talk so about what behavioral think, modification. There you go. Yes. Yes. So what I think happened was the founders of the Process Church, uh, Robert DeGrimstone and Marianne McLean, uh, took these lessons they learned and connections and have either been used or set up by various governmental bad actors who wanted to do MK ultra experiments on a bunch of young, dumb hippie idiots who no one would miss. And, and we know that there are at least some ties between Satanist organizations and the armed forces through Michael Aquino and his temple of set. Uh, keep in mind, Aquino wrote the chaplain doctrine for all religions of the armed forces. Um, if you want more info on Aquino, I'm really going to suggest uh, the guys at Subliminal Jihad do have a very, very good Aquino episode. And Ed Opperman on the Opperman Report also has discussed him a few times. So those are some good resources if you want more info on that. Um, but so 
Scott, to kind of try to wrap things up with a nice little bow here before we go. Um, we know that there's a direct tie between Kemper and Mullen, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. We know that the other infamous killers in that area were either strung out on LSD, involved in the occult, or religious fanatics. Uh, we know Mullen was going between Los Gatos and Santa Cruz for his killings. We also know a deacon of the Process Church was set up in Los Gatos, giving LSD to many a young hippie in Los Gatos and Santa Cruz as well. Mullen killed somebody on Highway 9, which interlinked those two places. We know Kemper had some sort of control over over Mullen via the singing story. We also know about the occult rituals going on in the Santa Cruz Mountains and the mutilated bodies found there. There is also strong reason to believe that Manson, Kemper, Mullen, Baker, and Frazier all either knew or knew of each other during these time periods, since these murders all happened within a very limited time span. And we know that the Process Church could have been a conduit for these meetings. The theory that I'm going to propose going forward, and you can tell me if you disagree with it or not, is that if these cult activities were used by the CIA and other agencies to test LSD and MK Ultra experiments, which in turn then created the boom of serial killers in California in the 60s and 70s, whether this was a direct consequence or unintended consequence or what they wanted is open for debate. So I absolutely agree with that uh, based on what we have researched and what we found out from going down this wacky ass rabbit hole um everything you just said is like on the nose i agree with that um again the idea that these people were unaware of each other and like didn't know each other or anything like that is is i think it's more unbelievable than the fact that they were kind of involved within the same social circles because it's very clear that they were all kind of like dirty hippie but like mean mean dirty hippies like dark hippies yeah yeah (laughs) um doing occult satanic shit like i was saying earlier um and the thing we haven't even gotten to yet which i think you know if we want to tease where we're going with this is the how this all connects to whatever the fuck is happening in Minot, North Dakota. Um, this, this continues uh, there for some reason. Uh, the son of Sam gets pulled into this. Uh, we keep going further east each episode pretty yeah, much. Yeah, so it doesn't end here. There's, there's more to it, but in terms of, of the California part of this, um, everything Mitchell just said is definitely, I think, uh, what, uh, like beyond, not even, not beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, there's reasonable doubts, but it, it's just very intriguing that there's all these weird connections all at the same time, all the same people, all the same drugs, all the same groups. It's like it's hard to be like okay yeah there's there's no chance any of these guys knew each other they were all just doing their own thing really i mean think about it if there's 50 serial killers in the united states at any given time and 20 percent of them are in the same place at the same time that's well and especially if a kemper and mullen are stalking the same hunting grounds yeah yeah you don't think they ever would have come across just those two like come on yeah i mean we're there might be some we're not even aware of and we'll, we'll get to the Zodiac killers question mark. We'll get to Sun and Arliss Perry and all that fun stuff. I mean, the Arliss Perry thing is, is the Minot. It has to do with the Minot connection and we will get to that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the jump that is made from here to there is the most bizarre thing i think i've ever seen and that's really what did the most psychic damage during this whole thing is just like trying to figure out because all of this carries over to this random ass fucking place and when mitchell's talking about um you know cia fbi army research on mk ultra and you find out that there's an air force base in minot and all of these things kind of end up there too it and that's when it just becomes like what the fuck is going on here like are we getting programmed serial killers and i think that the answer to that is like 
I think you have to start trending towards yes, because there's at least like five or six or seven of these connections that are just really hard to ignore. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott pretty much went over it already, but for the, for the next edition of Crankifornia, um, we're going to do a deeper dive on Manson, the process church, and we will be leaving our wonderful haunted state for the cold, desolate, desolate tundra of Minot, North Dakota. Um, next week, we're going to talk about on our, the crank book report. We're going to talk about, uh, Paul Benowitz, Richard Doty, Dulce, and, uh, disinfo in the uh ufo organizations so we will have plenty of more time to research and uh turn our brains into stew between now and next month so yeah so um you know uh if if you if you want to get out ahead and and do some like you know interesting reading go go look up uh werewolves in minot <laughs> and uh good old good old linda godfrey yeah, uh, <laughs> this is a dog man that podcast is, that now. is the first turn into that was just insane but we we will get to that and that is all the santa cruz stuff and that are all connected and it's just very odd and uh yeah it's bone bone chilling yep yep all right, everybody. Uh, this has been Cranking Off. I'm Mitchell. I'm Scott. Uh, I wish you all uh, good night and good luck. We'll talk to you later. See you.